2: Here's a message from today's sponsor.
0: Gather round, adventurers. Tales from the Firelit Gathering is an expansion that explores new horizons for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. With all new weapon options that take inspiration from all over the world, unique player races with unconventional abilities and perspectives, character creation tools that help you determine every detail of your adventurer, and even a variety of subclasses that let you play in unexpected ways, Tales from the Firelit Gathering is here to reignite your table. Back
3: the project on Kickstarter today.
2: Welcome everybody to tonight's episode and man alive I am so excited to be back it feels like we have been away from the microphone for way too long been several weeks since we've been in studio recording here but joined as always here on tabletop journeys by my erstwhile co-hosts Mr. Lee Winneka Miller Mr. Glenn Myers how are gentlemen how are you doing this evening Glenn where even are you I know the road warrior Glenn Myers where are you
1: I'm actually back in Connecticut at the moment that's for probably exotic. about three more weeks. <laughs> for about three more weeks, I'll be here in Connecticut, and then we are headed for Florida.
2: Nice. That, that will be much better. I, I don't know if you guys in Connecticut are getting the snow that we're getting up here, but that's uh, we're about to get clobbered. So
1: No, I'm listening to it pound on my roof right now
2: as rain above me. Mm, yeah, lucky yeah. you. So, How about you, Mr. Miller? Mm. How are you doing this evening?
0: I am exceedingly chuffed to be here tonight. I've been waiting for this particular night for I think – Two months since uh, we spoke with, since I was speaking with our guests, getting ready for this. And we'll get, I'll get into a lot of that during the interview and during the show, but so excited to, for this particular interview, we spoke about in a recently released episode where we talked about showcasing new and different games that that may not have been at your tables. This is not a new game, by the way. It's been out for many years. We'll get into that. But, The fact that we're going to talk to you about this with our first and hopefully not last guest appearance with our guest is going to be awesome because we're going to come back at later points early in this year and we're going to be running an actual play with this game. And wow, Star Trek, I'm all in, always all in
1: right? And yes. we've done a we've done a Star Trek game before with a previous system in the past that was a lot of fun, but it definitely had some challenges in its mechanics. I'm looking forward may, to seeing how this one I may have out.
2: some questions about that, but let's go ahead without any further ado then and introduce our guest tonight. And uh, for everyone out there paying attention obviously, so we are back. It is the first interview of February and this February we are taking time out on our show. Every week we're going to be bringing you an interview with a creator in the TRPG space from the BIPOC community. So I'd like to introduce our first February interview, Mr. Michael Desmuke, who's going to come on and talk to us about Star Star Trek Adventures. Michael, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. We are so happy to have you here.
3: Thanks for coming, Mike. so honored. I've been able to listen to portions of various shows. And I have to admit, I've played, when it comes to RPGs, I've always been in the superhero arena or the sci-fi arena. So it's been nice to hear you introduce so many different types of games. So I'm so excited to be here. I'm a fanatic geek boy and all that kind of stuff.
2: Nice. I hope that you checked out the we did an actual play recently of a uh, it's a powered by the apocalypse build that's based on masks, but it's masks the worst generation. So it's like kanji, not kanji inspired, but like, like manga inspired masks instead of like traditional. It was, that was a lot of fun. No, yeah. when
3: you say mask, I'm a kid of the 80s. Are you talking about mask like the cars that transform into like flying no. cars?
2: Probably like my all time favorite cartoon of all time. a motorcycle becomes a helicopter. No. Uh, but no, so there's a powered by the apocalypse build <laughs> called Masks. That's all about junior league type type superheroes. Superheroes. Uh, yeah. 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 So, it's all, they're all like in high school oh, wow. trying to be superheroes and, and succeeding or not succeeding. As I often, see. Powered by the Apocalypse allows you to go ahead and explore the emotional side of those games. That's kind of what Masks is all about. And okay. so, the worst thing I started is,
3: with yeah. Champions, Heroes Unlimited, mm. and then every iteration of Marvel games since
1: TSR. So, that's nice. where I was yep. landed on nice. this.
0: Glenn and I have, have, have you- played many of those. I think we've played GURPS Supers, one of my all-time favorite Supers played games.
1: a lot of GURPS for a little
0: while. A l- l- lot of GURPS. Played, I played a lot of Marvel superheroes, the old TSR, the little box sets where they had the Fantastic Four one and then the X-Men cool. one. I, yeah. Played yeah, I played those
1: a couple of times, but not as much. And yeah. then uh, the one that we
0: spent probably the most amount of time, other than GURPS was the Palladium Supers game, which I still have on my shelves, which are in the other room, and
2: I absolutely love those games. Supers are big for me. Yeah. I am not the resident comic book guy, yeah, but that is definitely Lee Winnicka's area. So that's. Mm. A, but have you? So I one question question before the questions actually. So have you played the new Marvel D six one six system yet? Have you played anything in
1: there?
3: I gave it a try. <laughs>
1: uh-oh uh-oh okay <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Danger, uh, Robinson. are we allowed to give reviews on the show how do you
3: feel about that
1: <laughs> <I'm sorry>. uh, <laughs> your take on the game and what you thought of it is just opinion so that's okay yep.
3: yeah yeah and thanks. i'm not bashing it i think what it is from a corporate point of view i felt it was strange that i had to pay for a game to develop it and i could compare it mm. meaning that when you had it, they want your feedback and you're paying, and then they're going to come out with another version that you have to pay for that's been done. And I compare that with what Modifius did in contrast with STA, Star Trek Adventures, where they released the living campaign, let people play it for free, give feedback, and then incorporate it into something that you pay for, but you participated in. And right. so, I did have an issue with that, that I felt like, oh, give us all your feedback as you play the system and make up rules. And then do we get compensated by that, Disney?
1: Yeah, no, if you're running the playtesting and you're part of the beta development, it should not be a charge. Game. I was, about, I was about to pull up Baldur's Gate and jump into the video game arena, but it's also role playing related because it is a Baldur's Gate Forgotten Realms co- title. But there's a new version of Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 3, that you now can no longer buy the beta version for. But you could buy it and play it and be part of the playtest up to a certain point where they stopped. And now you can't buy it until they finish it. But all those people okay. that got in earlier, they still had to pay to play. I, I, I did not because I wasn't. Kind of be yeah. paying for it twice. I'd rather wait yeah. and yeah. play the finished game. Yeah.
2: Anyway, all that to go ahead and say. So, <laughs> Michael, why don't you introduce yourself to, to our audience? Let them know who the heck you are and why the heck you're on the radio tonight.
3: Sure. So, I'm on this show because I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG. How I got started is actually a really good story. And I think it casts Jim Johnson, who's the product manager, who's now the project manager for the line in a really good light. I think it also... Shed's in a really good like Chris Birch and Modifius, and their take toward RPGs, especially with this entire OGL movement
1: going on right now. So
3: basically what happened is I'm the kind of person I write a lot. I just write every single day whether I'm getting paid or not. And so what happened when the game came out in 2017, I was already working with Mark Meredith on Marvel plot points because I was playing the latest iteration of that game, the Marcus Weiss version, Weissman version of Marvel that went out, w- went out. So we were keeping it alive on Marvel plot points. And then all of a sudden he says, hey, I'm going to be opening up a site because Star Trek's coming out with a new game, Star Trek Adventures. And he says, do you want to be a blogger on that? I'm like, sure, why not? So I went ahead and got the beta test versions of it. Loved it right away. The mechanics were just simple at that point. I started blogging almost every day about it, along with Tony Pye, Colin Wilson, a few other people on the Continuing Missions blog site. It's funny, one day Jim reaches out to me. So I start talking to him. He's very open on social media. You can reach him. And he was saying, he said, you're producing content faster than Modiphius can even get it through paramount approvals process. And he says, have you ever thought about writing for the game? And I was literally floored. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to write for a major IP title like that. I just just didn't think I knew the pathway to get there. You know how it is, like there's so many fans are talented, if not even more talented than some people out there writing right now because it is who you know and you're shaking the hands with the right person at the right time. Jim Johnson reached out and says, have you ever thought about it? He says, I love supporting and giving people their first chance. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) And I went ahead and submitted my first pitch he accepted it. And from there, I'm nine publications in and have a whole bunch of stuff coming out 2024. It depends, it might be all the way to 2025, depending on the release schedule. But that was my story. And so Continuing Missions is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures. I got the numbers on that. We have a really good, Team of support that resources that support new players coming in. And then now I, I run the podcast called Continuing Conversations with Jim Johnson. We're over a year in. And just amazed at the support that the Star Trek community. We have comic book writers like Jackson Lansing and Jody Hauser showing up. They're writing the IDW series now. We have Dayton Ward, the number one best-selling author for Star Trek Adventures. <laughs> new York Times best-selling author it's a regular on the show. It comes on wow. Scott Pearson, the editor for Simon and Schuster. And I just have never been part. Of a community before of a big IP where it's such a small community, even though it's such a huge fan base. And so that's my story. And I'm just loving the Star
2: Trek experience. That's. Amazing. It's That's so uplifting to hear. <laughs> well,
3: I
0: came into your orbit, or we came into each other's orbit. Uh, I think we're going back about five or six months now, maybe, give or yeah, take. on and Facebook, it, I think. Yeah, because I got to the Star Trek Adventure site and I, because I wanted to ask a few questions because I had just gotten, and nobody, could, nobody in the, listening to the podcast could see it, but I had just picked up the starter set, and yes. uh, I had some questions because I wanted to run a game. I was talking to folks about running the game. That we're starting this month last year. That's how long I've been prepping for it and try- gathering some support, trying to get people around that table. A couple of good friends of mine and were very interested. I have previously run Star Trek games in Last Unicorn Games system t- with to great effect, and love Star Trek in general and love that system. But re- I wanted to wrap my head around this system because th- the key for me is I want to run a, a great game. I don't want to run a good game. I want to run a great game, and. There's a little weight on the shoulders when you're introducing new people to a new game because you want to do it well and right and do right by the people who've taken the time to put this awesome product in your hand so that other people will want to play again. I was amazed that a writer for a game was active on a site responding to questions, giving feedback, and being excited for other people's celebrations. And you can get people
3: like Thomas Maroney, who's the art director for Star Trek Online. He's on there talking about the game, which we we collaborated with them for the Utopia Planitia release last year. And Dayton Ward will respond to questions about, hey, has anyone converted my novel into Star Trek Adventures? It's just the craziest thing. And all it does for me is it's, wow, they don't only have the license to the game but they actually want to embody star trek infinite diversity and infinite combinations and this welcoming thing it's just i've never had an experience like that before. it, that sounds it, incredible.
0: Re- it really brings it me back to my days when i was active in the star trek fan club scenario when i was doing my cosplays and going to WishCon and take doing activities and taking on responsibilities at various conventions it really has that feel of Yeah, we're in this together. And the fact that I feel, especially with the line editor, with Jim and just his conversations with you on Continuing Conversations, Yeah, I I, I honestly feel like I'm sitting in the room with you guys and we all need to get together. Hey, you're invited
3: on the show. You know that. You're all invited (laughs) on the show. One (laughs) of the things that that I'll tell you, part of it's selfish. And what do I mean by that? I was there when Marvel TSR stopped producing, and I was there when Marvel Saga stopped producing. And that's the worst feeling in the world when all of a sudden you don't have content for the game you love. Right. D&D had been spoiled for decades. And so I remember when Marvel TSR stopped producing, which I, I still think that's one of the best games for that type of genre, superhero genre. And we were still producing our own content. And it was hard. And the selfish reason I have is I am now like on the boat to keep Star Trek Adventures alive as much as possible because in 20 years, I still want more content, especially since they have so many TV shows out. Sure. Yeah. I just don't want it to die. And every fan and creator seems to be the same way, which I think is why we're so rallying all the
2: time for the game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh. I think 15 minutes in I think it's time for us to go ahead and actually start to start doing this thing so let's, uh, let's we'll, we'll some20 ready let's get our let's get our dice throwing up oh
1: not 20 baby
2: so All with right. a natural well, one for me I guess that means Glenn's going first and I'm going last Mr. Glenn, Miller where do you fit in the middle
1: I'm definitely in the middle with
0: a nine Glenn you have the con <laughs> okay the con indeed nice nicely
1: when that was pretty good that's what I'm um, here for <laughs>
0: <Anyway>. <laughs>
1: to look so, good <laughs> and make jokes so, Michael, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for low hanging fruit ish from a Star Trek from one Star Trek fan to another, because I'm confident there are no, a lot of other Trekkies out there that want to know the exact same thing. What's your favorite incarnation? <laughs> are you original? Are you Next Generation? Deep Space Nine? Voyager? Below decks? Oh, oh, event, I Enterprise?
3: Know. All right, yeah, let's see. I, I think
1: have a lot of choices now. Leo, so. I know
3: Leo and Nico knows because anyone who tunes into our show, who, what am I a biggest fan of? Lee,
0: you're the biggest fan of, of Voyager. Like Voyager, that, that's your show. Love it. Interesting. And let and me that was
3: tell one you of my why. Favorites
1: as well. And I would this love is it the why.
3: best part. And let me tell you why. And this is where people really need to check their biases and go back into the show and watch it fresh because you have the three baddest ass women you've ever seen running that ship you got Janeway and when they brought seven of nine on you got Belana Torres I'm in love with her that and Janeway did something I am convinced that no other captain could have done with such finesse and here's my point if it was Kirk he would have impregnated every planet on the way back if he even chose the three or four
1: people on every
3: planet literally and figuratively with Kirk yeah, exactly. Yeah. Prime Directive, screw that. Picard, too soft. Sorry. I don't that. And Picard, he was diplomatic, but to a fault maybe in those circumstances. Um, and then Cisco, he wasn't really a cab. I can't really even envision him doing that. He may have made it with the Defiant, but that would have been messy. But the point of the matter is Janeway was believable in that she was going to stick with Starfleet regs coming back. United the McKee, and that story took us back to the original series. Why? Because even though TNG claimed to be the successor to TOS, not really, because they were really operating within the alpha and beta quadrants with already established polities most of the time. True. So they weren't discovering new life and new civilizations. Janeway has the most first contacts out of any con- captain. Absolutely. Sure. So she brought it back from T to me, it was tio it was the true TOS because they had no choice. But to to survive, and yeah, Voyager's hands down, to this day, even Seven of Nine, when she showed back up on Picard, I was crying. I was just so (laughs) happy, because that's my favorite character. Seven of Nine is, yeah, she to me is the next Spock. Watch, mark my word, 20 years from now, look back, she's gonna be the next Spock, that crux character Hmm. for Star Trek. I really believe that. And And part of it is because of Jerry Ryan's attitude as an actor about the series, too. She's very much like Leonard Nimoy, the way she approaches it. She takes the role seriously. She's not embarrassed by it. Some of those early TOS person had that little loop of embarrassment until they found out it could be monetized. (laughs) Realized this was going to be cool for real. Jerry Ryan's attitude has always been, she's esteemed her role. She sadly was over-sexualized because of the times that she was written in. And she still, she came off as smart, not if she's sexy, yeah, but she came yeah, off as smart. What
1: they did for her physical appearance, yes. The yeah, character yeah. came off as far I, more than that.
3: I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with
0: you. The writing of the time, it greatly impacted Seven, and all of those things are absolutely correct. I think there were so many great characters – My issue is individual episodes were challenging on Voyager. Like I wish some of the individual episodes were written better, even though I loved all the characters. I actually am in the middle of a full watch of the Voyager. Now I'm, just about done with season th- two. The last two seasons I watched, like I watched the first season and I, or first two seasons, got very frustrated with it and put it away and then I came back for season six because when I heard it was ending, I'm like, I better watch the end of this so I can get on to the next series or whatever. And so I watched the last two seasons and I'm like, this is a wholly different show. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic
3: year, show. Year three, four yeah. changed it for me because honestly, Kess annoyed me. Just, I just didn't like the character sure. and I endured it because I liked the story. But when they brought Seven of nine on i was like this show just ramped up and that was it for me once seven came on board
0: they had a a moment where they could have gone cousin oliver but they (laughs) did something that we can only say at this point is a seven of nine because any other show that brings on that character mid-season and now the show gets better that's a seven of nine that's not if it gets bad that's it's a cousin oliver it like she's the one <laughs> that's a good point i never thought about
2: that One of nine cousin oliver a continuum I, you know, is that, yeah
0: michael i've said that a million times when you've talked about it on continuing missions you can't hear me because i'm watching it after the fact but <laughs> i've said it many times so this is the time i get to say it in person
1: awesome cool but i love it because voyager is honestly my favorite too at this point oh, cool it wasn't Originally, but once I got through Voyager and really assessed it for what the show was, because I started it a second time. The first couple of seasons, they were a little bit slowish, but I had that same problem with Deep Space Nine, and I never finished that one. Yeah,
3: it's way better in stream. I'll say, I'll say right now, I was spotty on Deep Space Nine, but once it started streaming, I'm addicted to it now. It was meant for streaming. It was twenty years ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah. And, and
1: I'm I slowly working my way through it now at my wife's insistence because that is her favorite Star Trek. Oh, that's you know, cool. incarnation as Deep Space Nine, but.
2: Yeah, I'll say one last thing about Voyager, and then Luanika, you can go ahead and fire off with your question. But I loved the first couple seasons of Voyager because I was a sophomore in high school. And that was uh, that's like perfect for my age group. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Luanika. <laughs> I like it's that
3: cool. answer. That's not- <laughs> oh wow, that <laughs> was
0: Very slick. Good. That is the, one of the best left-handed compliments I have seen wow. in recent history. <laughs> Point one for Southie. (laughs) (laughs) So, Michael, I'm going to try to find questions that I haven't asked you already. So, I think I'm going to go more towards the writing and your experiences with freelance writing, and specifically Modifius. When you're pitching ideas, are you pitching with mechanics in mind, or are you just pitching the story and writing the story, and Modifius takes care of the mechanics? How does that? process of a story idea, a mission brief in your head translate to an idea that Jim's saying, let's get this in print, let's get this inside of the hardcover?
3: That's a great question. So, variety of means, and I'll talk about what I do, but I also am aware of what other people have done to pitch, people who've pitched and don't even know the mechanics. People like Christopher Bennett, the author, who is a great sci-fi author and he does a lot of Star Trek stuff, but he doesn't play the game. But his ideas are phenomenal. So it'll go all the way from the range of someone like me who knows the game like the back of my hand and knows the rules. I'll initially just pitch the idea. I'm not worrying about the mechanics of the game. I just want to pitch a really good story idea with some sort, of, and this is advice for anybody who wants to pitch a game because Jim at net, excuse me, jimatmodiphius.net will accept your pitches. He's very open to new writers. So here's my advice. If you're going to write a pitch, don't write something that is so rote and we've seen before. He doesn't want to hear about the Borg battles because really you'll always lose against the Borg. So forget a Borg story. Do not write a Romeo and Juliet story. That's so common. Don't get away from those tropes. Really what he wants to see, which is what we've seen Star Trek build a premise on for the last 57 years, he wants to see that somewhere in that story is embedded something socially going on. So that when people read it, if they read between the lines, they're like, oh, this is okay. People could really take this into a social context way, however they want to take it, right? So if I think about some of the things going on in the news right now, may- maybe if I was to do a pitch, I might pitch something about violence, gun violence, in a, but not in a way that's going to be shocking, not in a way that's disturbing. I'm going to rewrite it in a sci-fi way and talk about maybe a society that is trying to restrict the use of weapons on its ships, it may be some sort of restrictive thing. There's maybe some sort of social debate because maybe this other culture actually needs the weapons because they liberated themselves from some horrible people before. But you're not going to actually say the words gun violence. You're not going to do that. You're going to just write the story with a premise and let the readers take from it where they are. Some people will go over their head, maybe. Other people are going to be like, oh, okay. I see where I could lend this. And the reason why you want to have sensitivity to certain groups, you don't want to ever do a title that's going to traumatize somebody. You don't want to spark right. up PTSD. So you have to do what Star Trek's done and take an issue, but create that sci-fi blanket over it. So I'll sometimes just do a 300 word pitch, a Netflix blur pitch. I was like, hey, what do you about this in the movie era that highlights this? And Jim will say, yeah, okay. Give me maybe three more paragraphs on that. And then he'll be like, yep, go ahead and write. Go ahead and send it to me, 8,000 words. So that's one one way. And then I go and I decide which mechanics I actually want to showcase. Because maybe I'm noticing that a lot of mechanics aren't being used by fans and maybe they need help. Maybe we're getting a lot of questions like about scientific method or how to do gated challenges. So I'm going to then say, hey, what do people really want to know about? Or what part of the core rule book do people ask a lot of questions about? Let me refer to that and try to wrap a scene into that. So first comes the pitch and then worry about the mechanics second is what I would say.
2: Excellent.
1: That's good advice. I like I really, that. really dug the way that you tied that all together there at the end, too. Yeah.
2: Thanks. I agree. And it really feeds really nicely, actually, into my question. And it's – I'm famous for these. It's going to be a two-part question because it's a kind of one question with two sides. If I were a Star Trek fan and you wanted to get me into the game, how would you do that? And then the other side of the question, too, is that if I was an experienced role player – how do you get me into a Star Trek game? How do you get me into specifically the 2D20 used by Modifius? How do you approach... Do you approach both groups the same or do you approach them with kind of different mindsets? Or what's the hook for each group?
3: Sure. So I've started a group that no one knew about Star Trek <laughs> at all. These are my nieces and nephews, age 13 to nice. 18. And then I'll talk about having, playing with fellow writers who actually write modules and some of them design the game mechanics for Star Trek Adventures. So. <laughs> I'll do the first. Where I start with them is not even worrying about the technology. I don't want them to worry about that. They don't need to know why a transporter is different than a deflector. That's where people get intimidated from Star Trek in the first place. So what I'll do is you're in the future. You have protocols that you live by called the Prime Directive. I'll read the Prime Directive to them. And I'll say, just so you know, you never shoot first. You're Starfleet this is not Star Wars and use diplomacy and talk your way out of a lot of stuff. And if you think you wanna do something cool, here's the list of kind of things your ship can do. Go ahead, try it. I'll let you know if, if it's totally impossible, but either way, what's nice about the 2D20 system is if you think something's difficult, you just raise the difficulty and they'll fail the role, or maybe they'll succeed. And then I'll tell them, why are you so smart that you made this succeed? And then they'll stare at me. And I'm like, no, make up anything you want to. And they'll say, and I'm very yes and. So I'm all about yes and player with the new players. And what's funny in the group, in both groups, I started two sets of groups at different times who knew nothing about Star Trek. After we went through the starter set that you pointed out, you got that starter set, which has a very basic set group, basic, very story, basic story. And each scene teaches you one game mechanic in building block format. That's, what's so cool about it is you learn first how to roll, then how to spin momentum, then how to do threat. You know, like it's a slow build. Once they finish that story, all of a sudden they're like, I want to see an episode of Star Trek. It's happened both times. And both times we finished the game and we went and watched a Star Trek show. And then nice. like, oh, I could have done that. Oh, I could. And it gets them ad- addicted right away. My thirteen-year-old now, she's fourteen-year-old niece is into Prodigy, so she's all about Prodigy and Lower Decks, and that's the way she's introducing it. And my eighteen-year-old nephew is addicted to Voyager now. And then I have another person who was introduced. He started at TOS and literally watched every single Star Trek episode in a two and a half year period. <laughs> yeah. Wow that's crazy that was that group right so very spoon-fed as for the advanced people who know star trek they don't you need to tell them anything once they figure out the d20 rules again through the starter set after that they go into pure narrative at that point and start storytelling which we could talk Hmm. more about later nice
2: nice cool yeah who doesn't so as a I don't know if I'm a bigger Star Trek fan or a bigger role playing game fan because I've been—they've both been so like integral in my life. But yeah, I can totally imagine that like, as someone who has grown up on Star Trek. Next Generation, I think, came out when I was—I was young. I was in like like middle like junior high, like when yeah, when I was when Next twelve. Yeah, yeah, so so it's, that was really kind of like formative television for me. And it was really there had never been anything else on TV in my entire life at that point that that was like that. But the ability to see myself in stories and know what's the story behind why didn't they go to RISA? Because they kept joking about going to RISA and we're not gonna go. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Riker wants to go, Picard doesn't want to go. What's going on there? That kind of thing.
3: So that canon can kill new players. And that's why I'm very I'm like I build a non-canon game, but initially they're gonna do things that are not Star Trek. I don't make a big deal about it. I just let it go because Infinite diversity, infinite combinations. If you start saying no, actually you can't do that because of episode thirty-two. Of it, <laughs> <laughs> right, you'll yeah. lose them all.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. All right, gents, I guess that gets us up to round two. So, oh, so let's. All I'm rolling get right? disadvantage. I get for my one last time. See if I can get myself out of this hole. All right, uh, I get advantage,
1: don't I? Uh,
2: yeah. All right, I'm going last again. Let's just keep it that thought. Man, I want to roll something. <laughs> <laughs> a, hey, if you've got a question for us, man, you can go ahead and roll and see if you've got something you want to ask us. I think we can make an exception to the rules in this case. Okay.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going to roll that. Yeah. Okay. I rolled a 15 on 20-side. Are you rolling 20-side? That's what you yeah,
2: rolled? 20 die, Exactly. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: I rolled a 15.
2: All right.
0: So I'm actually the- going to use my Star Trek die for the next roll, but I didn't even know why I didn't think about that. I got
2: my. All
1: right. What do you got, Glenn? Well, I had advantage for my 20 last time, and I rolled a pair of 18s. So I'm going to okay, go with cool. 18.
2: So, so you'll go on 18. Lee Winicka, what <laughs> have you actually rolled yet, or are you still just like showing off I your dice? I did. I rolled a 17. 17. All right. So, Michael, you'll go after Lewinica, and I rolled another natural one with disadvantage, so I'm way down here in the basement. Yeah. All well, right. It's all yours, sir. Glenn, okay. you got it.
1: So you touched on it a little bit in one of the last things that you were just discussing in terms of role play versus mechanics, and that can be a battle in a lot of games, especially if it's set up to be very rules or mechanics heavy versus the folks who really want to get into the role play and stick with that more with Star Trek adventures talk to our listeners a little bit about how the split is set up in this game and whether or not you already mentioned that you shoot you don't shoot first and you're negotiating a lot. So it's obviously just based on what people know of Star Trek, it's not gonna be combat directly oriented because Starfleet doesn't just run around blowing up a bunch of people. How does the balance work out between the action scenes, the dramatic scenes, the role play for the players?
3: Sure. Let me be clear by saying there is a Klingon core Rulebook, So if you really have a group of people who wanna do hack and slash, There's something for them. So they can play a Klingon.
1: Yeah. There will be a lot of
3: shoot first and slice first. Also, remember, because of Picard and the Maquis, people have chosen to play non-allied games also. So there are people out there playing as Cardassians or Maquis. So the game does lend itself that if you have a group that really just wants to blow stuff up, everything can be designed around that. 99% of people that I seem to talk to are playing Starfleet games. And so how it works, to answer your question with the mechanics on this, my simple thing is I only have people roll dice if there's a chance that they would fail. And the reason why that's important with Star Trek is because remember with the most Star Trek crews, you're dealing with well-seasoned professionals. These people are all astronauts to the nth degree. So they know how to run, even if everyone passes out, Deanna Troy can still keep the ship running. She, they're all trained with these basic things.
2: But didn't she crash so, the ship like four times? At least <laughs> once.
3: So of course, some people are better at other things than others. But the point of the matter, the reason I say that is because that's where the narrative piece comes in. So if all of a sudden Romulan warbird decloaks and the player says, hail them, there's no reason to roll dice. Even if there's no response, dice aren't going to make a choice. These are Romulans you're dealing with. But they say, okay, scan the ship okay, I think it's possible they may have their shields up. So go ahead and roll some dice. And the 2d20 is a very simple system because all you're doing is pulling two numbers together. You're pulling your attribute and your discipline. That number totals up to say 15. And as long as you roll 15 or under, that's counted as a success. And that works against a difficulty. If something's difficulty three, you need to roll three successes. So that base system was just so like phenomenal to me uh, compared to my seven different types of dice playing other games that I was like, whoa. And I watch once people play roll two or three times, they got it. They're done. You do a little math and you're done. So then why that's important is because once they succeed, the question narratively is, how did you succeed? Now they can use babble if they want to, but they don't have to. They could be as extensive. If they failed, then I give the player the chance to say, why do you think you failed? or do you want me to tell you why you fail? And that's where the narration goes in. So after about one or two games, and then people watch a couple shows, they start hearing the language and tone that is Star Trek. And that's where all of a sudden you see people pushing into, oh, my job is to let you know why my character is so brilliant. I'm gonna show you why I'm the specialist on this. And oh yeah, back 10 years ago, I served on a mission and this is where I learned this trick and that's why I succeeded. And that's where people start digging into their backstory. So I've never seen a game that I played before RPG wise, where your backstory informs the now and people are just sitting there making up why they're the coolest Starfleet character ever. And I just really love it as a storyteller. It was cool. I remember Nathan Dowdell, who's the designer of the game. We interviewed him and I said, well, can't you just play a game without rolling dice? If this is the case, understand if you want to do that, then you're just with a bunch of people doing storytelling. He says, and if you only want to roll dice, then you're not into storytelling. He says, Star Trek adventures is marrying the two storytelling, with game mechanics, I thought it, I thought the way he said that was nice. And then, like I said, I only make roll those dice when there's a chance for failure.
0: Okay. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. No, Starfleet ensign is going to fail at successfully opening the door to the bridge <laughs> exactly. unless there's a complication, i.e., the storyteller
2: increased some threat. But- <laughs> Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com/.ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash TT journeys.
0: For our audience, I think I, I have a pretty good understanding of it. I would love if you would give a real brief treatment on threat and momentum as pertains to Star Trek Adventures, it's something that players in our game are gonna come in come into contact with. Uh- So I'd like our audience to also have an idea about that because we're also making available to our audience when we air this episode, a list of resources, which include continuing missions as a site, continuing conversations as a YouTube site, because I have found that to be a wealth of knowledge. Like I, I, oddly, I go to bed watching that (laughs) so that I can kind of internalize
3: some of the process. And you're using my Barry White sexy voice and see if that influences you. in the show today. For, there the you go. I was about to say, we need a sample. You're
0: too good looking. Let's not do that. I, I want my wife to not have Oh, you're
3: nice. You're <laughs> nice. <laughs> you i I'll, hey, you I'll take whatever compliments from anyone who want to give them.
2: I'll take it. <laughs> if you need me and Glenn no. to go ahead and leave the show for now. <laughs> yeah. us, no, no
3: competition
0: for the short guy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear that treatment sure. so that our audience has an idea of some of the things that go into it. You did a, a great discussion on the 2D20 mechanic which is very small Smooth. And we found when we play new games that the mechanics on the narrative heavier games are easier mechanically for a reason. Powered by the Apocalypse and Free League, we which we, when we played Alien, it took us two or three roles, two or three uh, situations. With, oh, I get this. Well, I, we works, weren't yeah. even out of the first episode on our Free League stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly. It was, I stopped asking questions. It was that quick to pick up. Similarly with Power by the Apocalypse, and I have this great sense that when I'm running my first game for Star Trek Adventures, that's going to be the feel.
3: Here's why. Honestly, you know, in, in my day job, I do talent development, organizational development, so talk really focusing about how to get people to do the work in the easiest way possible. One of the things you learn with that is AVK, audio visual kinesthetic learners. And now this generation, they're not like us back in the eighties where we would pick up a 300 page book with deep mechanics and read through it. Honestly, a lot of people we found are now picking up Star Trek adventures because of those videos you're talking about, because they're like, okay, I can now visualize it, hear it, conceptualize it. Now I want the book because I understand it. So to your point, That's, I think, one of the reasons why the simplified 2D20 system where people can start playing without ever having read a core rulebook is what makes it so successful is that. And then threat and momentum. And again, all the mechanics, including your question about threat or momentum, falls into that. So my simple explanation about what threat and momentum are is this. When you succeed wonderfully at actions, you collect momentum into your team pool. It maxes out at six. That momentum can be used to influence the story. You can buy more dice so you have higher probability chance of succeeding. So I like my players using and viewing momentum as their opportunity to twist the story in their favor. So you want to use a lot of it. You want to spend it a lot because the more you do, you're pushing your people towards success. Now, threat works on the opposite. So when you mess up, then (laughs) the... Or if you have no momentum and you need to still buy more dice, you can give the game master threat. There it is. He's at least holding it up. So threat falls into a pool for the game master. And this one has no limit, actually. You can collect as much as you want because this is how myself as a game master can push my story along. So if they're maybe progressing through too fast and they decided to take a shuttle to a planet and I really need them to transport down, I'm going to spin threat so that the players don't think, ah, you're just fighting against us. No, I am going. To, I have this big pool of threat here. I'm doing that because what this means is there is a class five atmospheric disturbance and it mm-hmm. will knock out your impulse engines and thrusters. It's not compatible. How with a refinement being, you could actually transport down to this location here. And so I can narratively control the game as long as there's threat in my pool. But I'm not just going to throw, I'm just not going to throw complications against them just because the story is not going my way. I need a reason to do that. And threat is my reason. That's what I use it. You can even dump like two points of threat per player. So if I have eight players, I can spend maybe 16 points of threat to do what's called a reversal. And this would be a sudden in change when maybe they pull out all their phasers. They've got the guy surrounded. And I say, I'm throwing a reversal right here. He drops a stun game. All you are knocked out. We're moving to the next scene. So you have to have threat in order to, and they have to have momentum. And so I'm always fighting with them. It's fun because you're trying to control the story in your favor. And I thought those were two very simple ways, momentum and threat, to get them into the storytelling experience.
2: That's amazing. I love that. How... Like that, com- that almost competing dice pool. I think that when talking about Free League with how when we were playing through Aliens where it's like you've got like the stress die where you can go ahead and try to force a situation, yeah, okay. but it's going to go ahead and stress you out. And the more kind of permanent stress you've got, the easier it is to succeed on stuff, but also the closer you are to the to that edge, right, where you yeah, don't just it, it, go catatonic, Trek, right?
3: Yeah. yeah, in Star Trek Adventures, you could do something called succeed at cost. So yeah. maybe you have no choice but to... J- jump over a ravine in order to shut down this machine, but you fail hmm. all of a sudden. And maybe you have to succeed. You're like, okay, game master, I want to succeed at cost. Okay, you hit it, but then you drop 20 yards, shatter both legs, and you're unconscious. You hmm. can't even play your characters out for the rest of the game. Go grab a support character. You know, so you can create, as long as it narratively makes sense. You want your players to win, right? That's what keeps them coming back. You want right. them to, in the end, win, but they're going to tell you, they're going to join you in the storytelling as to why they succeeded or failed and what the repercussions of those right. were.
1: Hmm. If the first time they met a Klingon warbird they lost, it'd be the shortest story ever. <laughs> exactly. All
2: right. all right, Michael, you're actually up next. So if you have a question for us, I'm uh, exactly. to away. We, I know. we, we we're about reversal. You were just talking about reversal. And yeah. you are a guest asking us questions. So I want to know way. you all better. I'm so used to interviewing people. It's
3: weird, it's weird <laughs> for people to ask me yeah. questions. My question is for all of you. I guess we'll go in alphabetical order. Who is your favorite Star Trek character? I learned a lot about people that way.
1: Oh, that's a tough call.
3: All Someone right. just popped up in your mind.
2: This yeah. is so easy for me. I think I, and I think I know who yours is, so that, that's fine. Glenn, I think you're a first alphabetical
1: order. How about it? So I had two people pop into my mind. One, it's hard to choose. It's hard to pick Natasha Yar because her life was so short and she's from Next Generation so long ago. But Lieutenant Commander Tasha Yar was my favorite oh. character. And the way that she was killed was atrocious for a warrior's death. Bothered me a lot. But after that was Worf. So they're both next generation. No, nope, because then Seven of Nines right there. T- yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't. And honestly, Leonard Nimoy, the original yeah. Spock, can yeah. never get him out of my mind for favorite Star Trek characters. This is an impossible question.
2: Okay, good.
1: I don't like Commander Cisco, though. I'll go on record saying that right up front. That's part oh, of reason I didn't like Deep Space Nine, too. Yeah.
2: I also did not care for Deep Space Nine. I have tried to watch Deep Space Nine because I was I'm I love the whole Dominion. Like I know the Dominion War storyline is amazing, and I know like the end of Deep Space Nine is amazing. It's just watching through those first couple of seasons until it gets there is just like. Same reason why I can't get through Babylon Five. I know that. I know I'm throwing shots. I know. I, like I'm surprised that they're not going to go ahead and drop off here. I'm but, just going to say
0: yeah. I love you because I do, <laughs> and, and, and then I'm going to let you yeah. finish speaking. Yeah, yeah hurt
1: I, I have to drop the out Jadzia Dax too, which is a Deep Space Nine character, but Jadzia Dax is another of my yeah. favorites.
2: Yeah. yeah, I would love to go ahead and say that someone like Ro Laren is like one of my favorites, such a great character. Just like her character arc about how like she's kind of like on the outs, but then in, and then it's but always kind of like rides that edge. Like she's got that she's got that attitude where she doesn't really fit in with Star Trek, kind of right. got that, that whole like, postmodernist kind of view to it where it's your rules, I will use your rules as long as they make sense for me, but as soon as they stop making sense for me, they're freaking out, I'm done. Which is so that that's exactly. Really, like, her I was character. always like I was always like a, like a huge Jordy LaForge character too. I love just like the little yeah. jokes that he would make at how exact. Like, I, so I work in technology, right? I've worked in technology for twenty five years. Jordy is an IT help desk guy, and that is just I feel like a kinship with Jordy LaForge. Like every time his mm-hmm. communicator goes off, and it's some. Someone asking for something stupid, but like he didn't kind right. of have like the gravitas of Scotty. He just had that exasperation. I have been, I've been dealing with you fools for so long. I just, I don't have any f's to give anymore. Yes. That's, that's, I think those two characters really kind of resonated with me. Nice. So, nice. I know my
0: immediate answer, and I do yeah. have a backup, my supporting favorite character. So my immediate answer is Lieutenant Commander Thomas Riker.
1: Okay. It's <laughs> awesome. Acknowledge. William Thomas Riker. I mean, William
0: Riker. Uh, you know. uh, yeah. William Thomas, Thomas Riker. Riker Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I think I like, I wish he'd been, had more guest appearances, but I really liked Thomas Riker when we got to see that character because that path untread really spoke to me as a person, but I really liked Riker. I feel that it is so important to be a leader of people But not necessarily in that top spot. I love that position that he filled as XO. He was, I'm protecting my captain. But I'm also here for my team. He was educating the team at times. He was helping the team have fun. He was navigating those tough calls. When you got to see his backstory and his his adventures on the Pegasus, dealing with Commander who was not a quality person, you got to see why he's so adamant about protecting Picard, because he's dealt with the other side of that coin. That is literally the kind of person that I aspired to be. Love that character. And then when I finally read Peter David's Imzadi, lights out. First of all, one of the great my second favorite star trek novel of all time the first being the kobayashi maru but one and two were both great books but that first imzati was just i have on my list
3: to finishing vanguard everything. right now so
0: yeah that book is everything first peter david is also one of my favorite comic book writers of all time yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just he never ceases to amaze me when he puts pen to paper and uh, so i would definitely will Riker, my supporting character is Tom Paris. I mm. love... Oh,
2: come on. Love, There's a lot of synergy between those two characters, too. I can see that. There yeah. is.
0: I, it, love, it. I love the fact that Tom Paris was the character who went astray but still had a core like uh, he knew what he aspired to be tom paris is kind of character who aspired to be a person like will Riker. he just made bad choices I, because it was lenient like or yeah. whatever and i literally he's my favorite character from voyager hands down but it was literally the arc he went through of i'm only here because i have to be this was it was like jailer here dude to when he finally started taking some responsibilities when he had the, those moments where he got Demoted, And when he stepped up, he really stepped up and his successes. And then quite honestly, the whole story arc with his dad, his estrangement from his father, being distant from family and him, Tom Paris coming back and being a great officer as well as a good person who got away from that gave me hope because when I was watching Voyager, I was not necessarily in all of the best places in my life. Okay. The fact that his character could come back meant that I could come back and eventually get to a point where being a Will Riker was a possibility. And that's why I think Tom Paris yeah. is my supporting character.
3: What's coincidental, which funny about both those actors who play those roles too, the more I follow their other work – producing and directing like bobby i'm a delta flyer i don't know if you know what that is they have a podcast yeah. that they run him and garrett wong yeah. uh, and they go through each episode and they do notes and they talk about every one of the episodes even ones they don't remember ever having acted in but it's really funny i, I did that it's a great podcast by the way <laughs> I, it saved me during the pandemic but they both also went back and directed episodes too i know so did lavar burton but I think there's a passion that they bring to their characters because they also directed a lot of the episodes. And even now Paris did enterprise episodes and he does spook he comes onto a lower decks, Riker, yeah. we know, or Jonathan Frakes is behind everything. Star Trek yeah. right now. I think that's right. what makes those such rich characters. When I go back and read, watch <laughs> them. I think about, I bring all that into watching their characters, which is fun.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. That's really cool. So, <laughs> all right. So I back down to me at the end for the bottom of round two here. And so I did a little bit of research into this interview, Michael. And I spoke with a friend of yours and friend of a friend of one of our Patreon supporters, I spoke with Al the Anomaly Spader, and I said, you <laughs> know what, we're having Michael on the show. What's the one thing that I should ask him to go ahead and talk about on I'm the scared. show? I'm I know, scared. So he, he so I'm He knows all sorry. my inner thoughts
3: about <laughs> Star Trek.
2: So he said that he wanted you to go ahead and tell the story about 42 Threat.
3: Ah, 41 to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Man. He said 42, man. I don't know. Oh, fact. this is a good story. If, in fact, what's funny about this, it's going to be, we actually talk about it on an <clears> up- <throat> upcoming show that's about to air by coincidence, continuing- Conversations we're having a whole episode about how to be the best flight controller. So we're going through every role right now and showing new players like, okay, this is what you can do with the character. So what happened was he plays. What happened was. <laughs> what happened was.
1: What, what happened?
3: <laughs> when, when you talk about forty-one threat, you are in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I
2: was gonna say now that I know the whole like threat mechanic, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. So they
3: were they were stuck in a plasma conduit. That's all I'll say. They, in order to travel through space faster, because they could only go at warp three, they had to dip down into this subspace realm called a plasma conduit, where neither warp nor impulse worked. I had 41 threat. I wasn't spending it. I was just like, let me scare them because I want them to know how dangerous what they're about to try is. And then there are these Cosmozoan beings called Thin Stars created by Tony Pai, who's one of the writers on continuing missions. And he's a writer for Star Trek Adventures 2 RPG. He created these creatures called Thin Stars that lived here and they basically went through and ate up anything in there. So think of them basically as great white sharks of the conduit. So imagine you can't have warp and you can't their warp is down. Their impulse drive is down. Thrusters aren't going to do anything. And they know I'm sitting on 41 threats. So what was beautiful about it is all the players were freaking out. They're like, we're going to die. <laughs> Michael can do anything he wants to do at this point. And I loved it because it felt like a real TV show. Everything they're trying is failing. I'm not spending the threat. They just have such bad rolls this game. And they have <laughs> bad rolls. They're giving me more threat. And I said, I don't have to do anything. They were freaking themselves out. And I literally just sat there as their roll after roll trying to fix stuff and it's not working. I'm like, this is so beautiful. And, and so... Even though they got out of the situation through ingenuity, they came up, since their engines weren't working, and since warp drive couldn't exist in this environment, basically they opened up the shuttle doors, took two shuttles, those impulse engines and warp drive could work inside the shuttle bay, and they made a magnetic push, so they have all the techno babble on that. So they got out of the situation. But the fact that I didn't have to spend the threat, and it drove them to ingenuity, was what the game was all about. And to this day, we'll pat him on the back, Al Spader's character. He plays a character called Desmond Trask. And they'll still talk about it in other episodes. They'll be like, don't worry, Desmond can get us out of everything. Remember that time we were in the plasma conduit? And that's the moments we live for, is just... Threat sitting on the table informs the players you are in a bucket load of trouble. And I just love that. I don't have to make up anything. They talk about why everything's so dangerous. And that was an epiphany moment for the game for me. That's amazing.
2: That's fantastic. That's a great story. Yeah. You know, because it's so that, funny because all that he said was 42 threat. And I was like, what does – is it like a football play? What is 42 threat? And then as you're like explaining the threat mechanic, I was like, oh, damn. Oh, four, suddenly oh. it all made
3: like, sense. I'm getting scared. I'm
2: like, oh, God, what happened?
3: Oh, I love you. It's like a big fish story too because it's actually 41. He says 42. Ask in 10 years. He had 113 threats. And I rolled five failures. He was falling out of his face. He was talking. It was coming out of his face <laughs> every time we roll dice and get 10 more threat that's not even possible <laughs> oh. we'll be old men in rocking chairs talking about it <laughs> it's
2: like the old money pythons get four men from Liverpool. you ever heard that one? Oh yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, way back in <laughs> ww2 there was
3: 863 <laughs> threat yeah i put the challenge out there to anyone playing star trek adventures tell me if you've ever
1: had more threat than that i just want to know <laughs> excellent i'm gonna work on that hey,
3: hey,
0: it no, you does okay,
1: no. when he, when he could just said challenge accepted. Challenge His accepted. Players. No.
0: <laughs> it does bring to mind something because I'm gonna be playing in a digital environment but with our players in the upcoming game. I will probably have our we use Owlbear a rodeo for our V because I am not technically minded and it's very simple for me to operate. But I'm going to get threat tokens and make sure that they're there. And I can just, when I'm adding it, I will visually add that. They should see it. As soon as you said it, I was going to tell you on
1: Owlbear. Just
0: because that is not something, it's all my reading, would not have thought about that through this. So thank you for that answer. And yeah, it'll it'll train you out for that question.
3: Yeah. And as a game master, it prompts me when there is threat building up to say, oh yeah, I need to tell them why. What's in their environment happening? What's going on? Is a lightning storm moving in? Or you did a beam fall down and smash the science station and they have to come up with alternative means to control sensors. It reminds me to do that and spend it to tell the story, which I just, what, an, what a mechanic. It's kind of like plot points used to work in the Marvel TSR, uh, not Marvel TSR, Margaret Wiseman's version of Marvel hero, heroic role playing. It is like that plot point thing there yeah i love that i'm
0: very excited for the threat momentum mechanic in the game i'm because momentum is just that you get to celebrate their successes and they get to tangibly see it in a Mm -hmm. game where money is not economy is not a thing the rewards are going to be Look at all that look at that momentum. What can the team do? And the fact that it's yeah. a team spend, not an individual spend, you can't get any more Starfleet than that. That is the core right. of the Federation. My success is our success. Exactly. A threat to all of us.
1: And more and more we've been seeing games that are coming out with a team pool of some point, of some form. And I like it. I uh-huh. think that it's a fantastic way just to get everybody working together and get the group working, as opposed to having that one person who we regularly joke about the one guy who says, what's well, that's what my character would do. And so he robbed everybody in the middle of the night and went home. He's going to be mm. bored and sitting by himself playing all alone. It's a team. Yeah,
3: Star, Star Trek's collaborative, just like the TV shows. Yeah, it yeah. really and it even has this, the assist mechanic that when you do a role, Someone can say, Hey, I want to throw one dice on that and assist you for this success. And so it gets, I always think of the moment in Undiscovered Country when Spock is arming the photon torpedo with this detector of gaseous anomalies, and McCoy is right next to him, a doctor. And he's assisting arming a torpedo. And it's you get a lot of those kind of moments in Star Trek. Yeah.
0: If I remember correctly, DeForest made a comment. Like there was a back and forth between the two characters about that. And he goes, I've operated on hundreds of people in the course of my
3: career. I think I can handle one probe or something like that. Yeah, my favorite line from that scene while they're in the tube was, I'd pay real money if he'd shut up. <laughs>
2: <You remember>? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Goodness. I know we've only gone through two rounds of questions, but we are at our hour. What? I know. I know that sometimes that happens. Right? Sometimes, we're, we're, sometimes we're we're that both. happens. We're verbose. Amazing. I know. It's, but this, this is why I love interviews like this, Michael, is because like, we could talk about this. We say this a lot when we have really great people on. We could talk right. for hours about this. I feel like we have barely even scratched the surface. I got like 17 questions here that I didn't even get to. So have to well, now, now have you know your... why we
3: call our show Continuing <laughs> Conversations, because we, <laughs> we thought we would have <laughs> ran out of stuff, yeah. and we have another year worth of shows.
0: I know. We've weird. been going for two and a half years feel the same
2: way so yeah yeah Yeah. you gonna say something Uh, i was gonna say uh, perhaps a a quick lightning round if there's a quick hit. question i'm I'm done with lightning round so the whole point obviously typical lightning round short answers whatever that means to you want to roll for this one gentlemen maybe i can get out of going last
3: i can be super short remember i do public speaking for a living too so if you want i can do one (laughs) word excellent
1: (laughs) as verbose as you want to don't let the lightning Whew. round fool you. We don't mind having longer I than an I think you're not episodes. going
2: last this time, Josh. At, I at disadvantage, a... I rolled a 15 and a 16, so I might actually be going first.
1: Did you roll a 1 again to be No, I the did not. I rolled a 15 and a 16. No, last time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my bad. I'm so sorry, bro. I have a 12. That's
2: 12. All right. I got a 15. What do you got, Leonica? I have a 4. Look at that. Worst to first. Yeah. And oh, like Michael, the 49ers. Okay. Did right. they
1: lose that game or win that game? Because I didn't it see it. I'm a oh,
2: Niner it fan. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> right. Niners.
1: That. Purdy's
2: Purdy.
0: <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he Look. is.
2: All right. <laughs> Quick answer then. Are you more of a Trek fan or more of a role playing game fan? Ouch. And the questions aren't easy, they're just like, short.
3: I my, my uh, Just so you know, I, now I feel like I'm on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, I have to talk out my things. I hate them, by
2: the way. <laughs> I love that. Do you need to phone a friend? Is that, do you need to on the line here? Is oh, well, that- oh, no. Three When I was three years old, I
3: tripped over a snake and then this happened. I hate them. Oh, so what's hard about, I'm asking right now, which one, if I was on a desert island, do I want to be stuck with? I'd have to go role playing, sorry to say, because yeah. I want to tell stories. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, that's not. That, there is no wrong answer. That's the best part about a lightning yeah, round.
3: My answer would that have hurts.
1: been they're too intertwined to separate. Because mm. since I watched the first show that captured my imagination, I've been role-playing.
3: Yeah. yeah Good question. Whether it
1: was with a game and a system or whether or not it was pretending to be Luke Skywalker with my friends at the playground. Yeah. Or... Star Trek. I know wrong star genre. <laughs> my bad. Back away slowly. No, no um, Star Trek's the only One.
2: We're talking Star Trek. Okay, no, they, they, I know you they
1: missed that.
3: They're part. No, people don't realize they are part of the Star Trek universe, but they were in a galaxy far away, far
1: so. away. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right,
1: Glenn, your lightning round question. My lightning round question is, Michael, what's coming next? What's a sneak preview of a project you've got in the pipe that you're uh, really <laughs> excited to about? Talk about. <laughs> and, and only what you're allowed to say. Uh, no! My
3: my answer is
1: NDA yeah yeah I
3: literally i'm on an nda but i can tell you this save your latinum i'll repeat what jim johnson says save your latinum when i found out what i got to work on i was just like ready to cry so nice. you will latinum not be was disappointed enough to give me a solid yep.
1: clue yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it excellent
0: Ooh. Hi, Mr. Miller. Glenn, scoop me on my lightning round question. So I'm nah, going nah. to go with with this question. What is your advice to other BIPOCs in the tabletop space as far as? how to approach or how to handle some of the challenges that come into being a creative entity in this space. How did you navigate it? What's your advice to somebody coming up saying, this is something I want to do. I want to begin to make this a career or certainly a major facet of my life.
3: We're in a privileged time for some IPs, not every IP, but get out there and meet people. Um, What's sad is that, for many years and in many things in any kind of entertainment, you need to know somebody who opens the door for you. That's that's been that's benefited white middle aged men or white young creators for a long time because that's who they hang out with. I don't think there's any intentional. There has been a minority. I don't think it was an intentional thing that someone grows up in middle America where all they see is white people. And so all their friends are white people and they get an opportunity, they pass it off to their friends. That's not weird to me. I can understand how human dynamics work. However, as a BIPOC person, you're in a minority right now in the RPG arena. You really are. But that's actually a good thing right now if you're visibly writing a lot. There's no, Frank Oz, he was one of the co-creators of the Muppets. And he said something that changed my life in a book that I read once. And he said, it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. And what that means is to us, it seems like when we see somebody get their first book, like me, okay, I'm writing for Star Trek and people are like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, you lucked out. It's like, I write every day. I did my own two Kickstarters. I write for, I did advertising. Age, so I've always written. I encourage people to play RPG. I go to comic conventions. I volunteered for panels. I volunteer to work and meet people. So yeah, I'm work, I'm writing for the best IP I think I could ever write for. It's actually the dream job. I would not want to work for any other IP but Star Trek, if I had to choose, I would have chosen Star Trek. But you gotta get out there and meet people. And then now my job is to open the door for other BIPOC people. And and or anything. I don't care. I just want you like writing? Okay, get to work, write every day, get your chops up, ask for advice from people about your writing. We're in a good place for that right now. And Star Trek really is taking a lead in it. If you look at the credits now, scroll the credits on anything, they're inviting everybody to the table. But again, some people might pick a genre. That's not as cool. If you're playing some obscure role-playing game that only middle American guys are playing, who are you going to meet to get in? So you got to pick also the right mediums that you're putting yourself out there. I really encourage people to blog every day, even if it's just 200 words, because again, my story was that someone saw my blog and reached out to me. And so show that you can produce on time and just meet as many people as you can. Be likable. I have to say that. Be likable.
1: Yeah. Awesome.
3: Awesome. Come and ask me and everybody out there, anytime they want to ask, reach out to me. I'm available on social media. Jim's available on social media. Just be out there. Let people know you're out there and that you're looking and that you're hungry. And one day, hopefully you're the person that like, Hey, I wonder if they'd be interested to do this Yeah, and jump on it and meet that deadline and be kick-ass when you get out there.
2: I think every person in the writing space specifically that we have asked A question like that, or something too, it has always come back to make your deadline. I love how that theme kind of continues. That it comes up like every single time. Yeah, I was good. I wrote fast. I didn't have to be edited a lot, and I made my deadlines. Okay, that's
3: the recipe. The only way you're gonna get there. I just want to say the only way you're gonna get there if you write for yourself every day like that too. Yeah. Because I look, I go back and look at my writing 20 years ago, and I want to barf. My first comic (laughs) book I did a manga. I'm like, I want to vomit. But you know what? Then someone fixed me on that. They said, Yeah, but if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be where you are now. That was a step.
2: Exactly. So just every write, step. get it out there. Yeah. yeah. I did a bunch of academic. My degrees are both a super highbrow and academic, and so I go back to reading some of the stuff that I wrote, like in my freshman and sophomore year of college. Like, oh man, you were an ignorant twit! Holy crap! Yeah, it was you. <laughs> like, it's amazing that you like spoke English. That's your only language. That's fabulous. That's great. Yeah. So, anyway. With that, Michael, this was fantastic. Thank you so very much for coming on here tonight. This was so much fun. Like We could stretch this interview for hours. and get, uh, Thank you uh, all. My yeah, invitation
3: yeah. to you is this. Once you play your first game of Star Trek Adventures, come on my show. Come, please Absolutely. come let me and Jim ask you about the experience, what you oh, liked, yeah. what you didn't like. But we, I'm all about the super fans. Yeah. So that's who we love to interview the most. It looks, it
2: looks like we'll be playing our first game with our Patreons probably middle of February. So we'll, uh, we'll reach nice. out after that and, and go ahead and work on a date make that happen. So That'd I'm going to...
1: I'm going to ask a crazy question that's off the cuff that nobody knew was coming, and it can be cut easily (laughs) if it has to be. But I'm super excited to play the game, and I know our Patreon game's going to get full. And you are clearly the man with the plan who knows the game. Could we talk you into running a game for us?
3: Depends. With enough advance notice, definitely. Yeah, nice. if I have enough advance notice, I would totally do that. I love introducing the game, creating more Star Trek spawns, so that's well, awesome. So
2: We, we, we have, have to
3: make that a
0: cadre, a, a large cadre of fellow podcasters who are all interested in trying new games, and some of them are ones that I love sitting down and being a player yeah. with. They've, Mike from 19 G- Hits, Hits the Dragon. 19 Hits yep. the Dragon, he was with us when we uh, tried out Free League. He was with us as well as from Dads with Nerdy Ambitions, and Mike was with us when we tried out the real thing in Power by the apocalypse newer friends uh ariana from the rainbow
3: dice club the only way the game's going to stay alive if, if i have to put my, me and al feel the same way about it jim put our money where our mouth is we're definitely not going to grow the game if we play only with the same people all the time
1: okay. i'm glad i threw it out there we'll, question
0: we'll get in touch with you we'll get in touch with al and probably Dave, bring a couple we'll, of those
1: other folks with us we'll bring yeah, another we'll podcast other other on so that we, can, more uh, air.
2: we can play. <laughs>
3: Nice. I love it. Love
2: it. Yeah. Before we sign off here, Michael, how can our listeners find you and find your work and get in touch with you?
3: Sure. So, of course, continuingmissionsta.com is our blog where you're going to constantly find a wealth of free information on how to play the game. You can go onto YouTube or Spotify or Apple and you can look for our podcast, which is called Continuing Conversations. STA Engage is a quicker way to find us. It's Continuing Conversations, STA Engage. And I'm all over social media. If you're on the Star Trek Adventures page for Reddit or Twitter or where else? Facebook, all that. Really easy to find me. Go on LinkedIn, type in my strange name, Michael Dismuke, D-I-S-M-U-K-E. Type in Star Trek right behind that. You can get me through LinkedIn, but I'm easy to find. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. I will
0: also add one of the coolest things I found on Continuing Missions was the character generator that and you had a DC fairly, Holmes, yeah? You had a DC Holmes on the show fairly mm-hmm. recently when it yeah, released. So. I caught it. And if you're trying to understand how some of the pieces and parts work on a, a character, build your character with that next to you and build it yeah. with that, and you can see how the things interact. It is a brilliant fan driven modifia supported approved thing that is beautiful no, tar- no charges no nothing it's go on there build the character and the coolest thing is build a ship yeah the <laughs> ship that i'm gonna be running i actually built that because it is basically the sta version of the ship i ran when i played last unicorn game so What's i'm actually bringing here? back what? that that old ship and that class yeah, i just gotta ask saver class
3: okay cool all right yeah. nice I-, I love the saver
0: because it's very it's off it's not often seen and it's a small ship so there's not as many pieces to it and it's a tighter allows for a little bit tighter storytelling so that's why i love it
2: nice all right, Michael, thanks again for joining us. We uh, really appreciate you, you taking are. the time out tonight. So, let's see here. Uh, next week on the show, uh, we have got our interview with Aaron Roberts, again another free, another freelance writer. Done a bunch of stuff for Paizo. done a bunch of stuff for Wizards of the Coast, done a bunch of stuff for Hunter the, the New Hunter the Reckoning game from a uh, New World of Darkness. So, that's all uh, that good stuff. This going to be a great time with Aaron. And uh, of course, we're continuing our replay right now of Real Thing: The Powered by the Apocalypse Build, the exceptionally spoilerific and very much not for kids version of of the Real Thing, which has been a, it's been a good time listening back through that. That. Again, Mike based Danny's off Faith No
1: More's album, The Real Thing, as such, does. yeah, they got authorized the, he, by he the man, to, it was So good. do to
2: talk about IP. They decided to go ahead, and they're working with Faith No More, and the plan is eventually to go ahead and put out game modules. P by T. A game modules for every album in sequence and it's just a the writing crew is fantastic the game is fantastic so you so have to fun. check that out that's playing right and now and that's one that's run
0: by the actual creative team by the creators behind,
2: guess, yeah. behind the game yeah, the Jasons,
1: yeah. Warden Percy
2: <laughs> thanks so much again Michael for coming on here we really appreciate you taking the table it yeah, was so much fun thanks so much everybody out there for listening and like so, we'll be back next week with our interview with Aaron Robert check that out and have a great night Later. live long
0: and prosper
2: <laughs>
1: nice <laughs> Thank you for joining us.
2: This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments
1: and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr or Instagram at TT Journeys. Joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday. And every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher,
0: iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends a Week.